Hopefully you've had an opportunity to rest after Christmas. Christmas tends to be perhaps the busiest time of the year, the entire Advent season leading up to Christmas is often the busiest time of the year for many of us. Uh, For many of us, the busiest time of the year at work is in the months uh, and and the weeks, especially leading up to Christmas. We have year-end deadlines, all kinds of projects which we're trying to accomplish before the holidays. Uh, Certainly for our college students, you get into the final weeks of Advent, and, and that's when you realize you've been procrastinating for weeks and months, and now you actually have to do something. I actually have to crack open that textbook that has been sitting on the shelf since the beginning of the semester, and you have to write term papers, you have to uh, study, cram for final exams. It's a really, really busy season. And then on top of that, you have, well, you have Christmas. And you've got, if you're anything like my family, it's like each year there are more and more presents to buy. You kind of wish people in your family would just stop having kids. And so you find yourself just incredibly busy. You're you're going to the mall, and and you... (laughs) You go to the mall at Christmas time, and if it, it is the antithesis of peace, right? Christmas is supposed to be the, the coming of the gospel of peace and the gospel of joy, and going to the mall is anything but peaceful and, and joyful. And so this is, this is sort of the atmosphere uh, in the weeks leading up to Christmas. It's all do, 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 do. You've got your to-do list that just gets, you know, it, it goes to several pages in the Christmas season, it's all do, 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 do. Your honey-do list just gets longer and longer and longer as you approach Christmas. It, it seems to be this season of do, 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 do. And, and then when we finally get to Christmas, and then it's like, oh, just want to sit back, relax, and maybe watch a few bowl games, right? And I actually think there's something sort of backwards <laughs> about all of that. Because actually what we discover is that Christmas, when you look at this passage, I think what we discover is that Christmas is entirely, well, Christmas is about, not about doing, Christmas is about simply being. That's actually what we find in the passage that immediately precedes what Mary read for us, and we looked at this last week in a different context. When the angels come to the shepherds and announce Christmas, what happens? They just stop and they just are, they just be. And the angels announce the coming of the Savior, and they just be, and they just, they just stand there, and they just are. They don't do anything. In fact, they stop what they're doing, and, and they just are. They just, they just be, and, and that's what Christmas is about. You see, you see, what we're going to discover is that actually, yes, we are called to do things. We're, we're called to do, but it always comes out of simply being. And that Christmas is the announcement, uh, first and foremost, that we don't have to do anything for God to come into our lives. We don't have to do anything for God to love us. We don't have to do anything. We can just, we can just be. I mean, the, the, the shepherds weren't doing anything that deserved having the angels come and announce that the Savior had come for them. They hadn't done anything to deserve it. They just were. And so they, they, just, they just be. Christmas time is a time to just be and to reflect on the fact that God has come for us no matter who we are and no matter what we have done. This is one of the things that makes Christianity so unique. 
we talked about this either at the Christmas Eve service or last week or the week before, or maybe all three weeks, because I talk about this all the time. And that is that what makes Christianity so unique is that it's not that you, that, that to be a Christian, well, now I've got to do a bunch of things in order to get God to come for me. I've got to do all of these things to get God to come for me. No, we see that the, the shepherds aren't doing anything and God just comes for them. And so it, becoming a Christian just starts with just being and just resting in that incredible reality that God has come for us. In just a few weeks, we're going to jump back into our series on the book of Ephesians. We've kind of taken a break from uh, for the holidays and we're going to, we're going to jump right back in. And, and actually, this was a good place to take a break because the book of Ephesians, interestingly enough, is kind of broken into two sections. We're about to jump into the second half of the book of Ephesians. And in the second half of the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to tell us more and more about what we ought to do. He's going to tell us how we ought to live. But he doesn't really get to that until... Halfway through the letter, because the whole first half of the letter is him talking about who we are and who God is, who we are because of what God has done. It's all about just being. And so it was a good time to to, to take a break. We spent the first part of the series looking at who God is and who we are because of that. And we have to get that right before we move into what he calls us to do. So it's, it's being before doing. It's being before doing. But then as we come to our passage today, we do see then, well, what are we called to do in light of Christmas? In light of what God has come to do for us, then what are we called to do? And, and I think we see three things in this passage. How are we to respond? I, I, I t- entitled this sermon, After You Put the Tree Away. Uh, after we get through the holiday season, then, then what, what are we called to do in light of the coming of Christ? And I think three things emerge from this passage. The first thing that emerges is that we're called to investigate. We're called to investigate. What we discover with the shepherds is that as soon as they hear about the coming of Jesus, what do they do? They go and they investigate. We see this in verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they, they, they go and they further investigate what's going on. I think we, we also see sort of an investigative spirit in Mary as well. In verse 17, uh, excuse me, yeah, verse, verse 17, no, verse 19, it says, uh, Mary treasured up all the things and pondered them in her heart. So she had been, you know, this angel comes, all this, you know, crazy stuff happens with her, and now she's got a time to ponder it and to think about it. And, and actually thinking and reflecting, the word ponder here in the original just sort of means to mull over to think over, and part of investigating something is to think it through, to, to, to try to un- come to a deeper understanding of it. So I think we see in both the shepherds and in Mary this idea of further investigating what has happened. And so I want to encourage you as we enter into 2015 to investigate further who Jesus is. Right? Maybe you are here and you're not really sure what you think about Christianity. You're not sure what you think about God. I would encourage you to investigate. I would encourage you to ask questions. One of the things that I, I really want for this church is for this to be a place where you can ask questions. This would be a place where you can ask hard questions that you can feel, feel comfortable doing that. And I think 
whether you're pursuing who God is for the first time or maybe you've been a Christian for many years, I think as Christians we need to continue asking questions. We need to not, we need to not run away from our questions. We, we need to investigate our doubts, not ignore our doubts. We need to investigate our doubts, not ignore our doubts, that actually investigating your doubts and, and, and pursuing them, that that's actually an important part of, of spiritual maturity, that in fact to ignore your doubts can actually end up being very harmful. Tim Keller says this in his, his book, The Reason for God. He talks about the importance of not ignoring your doubts, and he, he warns about the dangers of someone who does this. He says, a faith... A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. He's saying that that an element of doubt and entertaining those doubts can almost function as antibodies to to fight off anything that would actually pull you away. And he identifies two ways in which people can often be pulled away from their faith. Two ways in which their doubts, if they haven't dealt with them, can end up pulling them away. One is in the face of tragedy. Right? We probably all know of individuals who, who were perhaps professed faith or were walking with the Lord, and then some tragedy comes along them, and that just turns them away. Right? They, they, they just walk away because what well, they do, they have all of these questions about why it's happening. But here's the thing, and I remember, I remember hearing a message by John Piper. Some of you will know who he is, a, a pastor, a pr- prominent pastor in America. And, and he, he gave a sermon once about suffering and tragedy, in which he told his congregation this. He said, look, when you go through a tragedy and I come to you in the midst of that, I am not going to come with answers. I'm going to come and I'm just going to be there with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt with you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm just going to be there with you. Because when you're in the midst of it, you are not in an emotional place to even deal with the question. You're just not. When you're in the midst of that, you're just emotionally not in the place to think rationally about any of these kinds of questions. So what he says, though, is you've got to deal with this before the tragedy comes. You've got to entertain these doubts. You've got to entertain these questions so that you can, you can build up a defense so that when it comes, you're actually able to, to deal with it. The second way in which a person's doubts can overwhelm them is, he says, the probing questions of a smart skeptic. I think we all have heard of or know of individuals who they go off to college and they get exposed to uh, the probings of a smart skeptic. If you go to any secular institution, you're going to get all kinds of probings of smart skeptics. And what he's saying is that if a person hasn't dealt with this at any level, they're much more susceptible to being drawn away from that. And so if you grow up in an environment where you're, you're told, well, don't, don't think about that, don't think about your doubts, just believe, just believe, don't think about your doubts, that you, you're potentially setting them, 
setting them up for a time when they're not going to be able to deal with that. He says, you've, you've got to be able to deal with this. We need to investigate. It's an important part of our, of our spiritual growth. So I would encourage you, as the shepherds did, that in light of the coming of Jesus and the announcement of this Savior coming into the world, I would encourage you to investigate, to pursue who is Jesus and, 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 and to deal with the questions that you may have. We want this to be a place where you can do that. So that's the first thing that we see in this passage. In response to the coming of Christ, we respond. We respond by investigating. And then secondly, we respond by sharing the news, by sharing that Christ has come. Again, we see that this is what the shepherds do in verse, let's see here, in verse 18, no, verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning Christ. What had been told, uh, excuse me, what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So we see the shepherds, they saw that after they had come to see Jesus and they'd come to see him and investigate, then they went and they shared. Now, what I think is interesting about, about this is notice what, notice what it says here. It says that when they spread the word concerning what the child had been told about them, I didn't say that right. Whatever, you know what I'm trying to say. It says, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had to say. Now, I think that's interesting because I I think we kind of need to ask ourselves, you know, in, in times when we've shared the gospel with other people, have we always been met with amazement? Do you feel like it's always met with amazement? My suspicion is that, that maybe not. And I think there are a couple of reasons for this. One of the reasons why sometimes people aren't always, they don't always meet our presentation of the gospel with amazement. First of all, it's because to a certain extent in our culture, even though we live in a society which in some sense is becoming increasingly less Christian, the reality is that most people in America have had some sort of exposure to Christianity. Uh, most people have. They, they, they were either, you know, they grew up in the church or they were invited to church by a friend or, and they have some sort of exposure to it. And so here's the thing. I think most people in our country think they know what Christianity is about. They sort of already have a preconceived notion about what it is. And so they, so when you, when you go to, they're like, well, I already know. I've already heard this. I've, I've already been down that road. I, and, and I think that's part of the reason why some of them don't always respond with amazement. But, but here's the thing. Most people just end up being sort of indifferent. And I think the reality is that anybody who responds with indifference to the gospel, what that shows is that they don't really understand the gospel. Because if you look at the ministry of Jesus, very rarely do you find people responding with indifference. They virtually always respond with amazement. Now, Their amazement can go in one of two different directions. Some of them are amazed, and they drop everything and they follow him. Others are amazed, and they want to kill him. But there's no indifference. You see, when you really come to know who Jesus is, it's it's something where either you're going to be fully drawn in or you're going to want to end this. It's not indifference. And so when people show indifference, then what that really exposes is that they don't really understand what the gospel is. 
No, that's part of it. And I, and I think, again, what, what are the reasons why people might not respond with amazement? And I just want to highlight, there. I think there are other reasons as well, but, but at least one or two that I think are important uh, for us to consider is that sometimes the reason why people don't always respond with amazement is that sometimes, I think, particularly in America, we have presented the gospel um, in sort of a, a sort of a formula. Uh, it's been sort of presented as, if you pray this prayer, then you go to heaven when you die. Like, that's it. Like, that's how you become a Christian. You pray this prayer, and you go to heaven when you die. And it's this formula, um, and you just pray it. And, 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 and I think people just aren't amazed by that. And they're just like, okay, I've heard that before, and I pray a prayer. And it seems sort of strange to them. I pray a prayer, and then I go to heaven when I die. It's become this very simplistic sort of formula, which isn't really what the gospel is. It's much deeper than that. I think what we discover when we look at the ministry of Jesus is that he doesn't preach a formula. He always meets people right where they are. He always meets people right where they are, and that the good news of Jesus then is, is translated into whatever the need of that person is. He takes the need of that person and then takes the good news in all of its fullness and presents to that person what they need. In other words, what we need to do when we share the gospel is we need to know the person with whom we're sharing it. We need to try to get to understand them, see where they're coming from, get them to see, well, what are the issues in your life? And then I can show you how the gospel meets that. That There are a million ways to share the gospel depending on what the person is dealing with and, and, and how, how the good news applies in their life. And this is why... I would say that for us, relational evangelism is so important. It's so important for us to build relationships with people so that we can begin to understand where they're coming from. We need to to be able to say, you know, how does the gospel apply specifically to a teenage girl who is facing the pressures of high school? How does the gospel apply to, to a man who's trying to provide for his family and is struggling financially? How does the gospel apply to somebody who has just been diagnosed with a terminal illness? How does the gospel apply in all of these different areas? You see, sharing the gospel is as much a matter of listening to where the other person is coming from so that you can then share with them how the gospel meets them where they are. So I would encourage you, I would encourage us as a church in the year 2015 to build relationships, and to build relationships outside the church. One of the things that we've tried to do and we want to continue to do is build relationships inside the church. It's one of the reasons for our community groups is to try to get people to be able to build closer, tighter relationships within the church. But in 2015, though we want to continue to do that, I want to encourage us to be more intentional about building relationships with other people. You see, in in modern... 21st century America, you have to be intentional about building relationships. We live in a society where it just doesn't happen as naturally, and there are all kinds of social reasons for that. But you can very easily kind of go through life and never really build relationships. You can really just kind of sit home and watch TV all day, which a lot of people do. And so what I would encourage you to do is be intentional about building relationships. Build relationships with your neighbors. Build relationships with your coworkers. Maybe rekindle relationships. Maybe you even shared the gospel with somebody 30 years ago, and they weren't really open to it. And so your relationship with that person has kind of, 
has kind of, you know, it's, there's distance now or you're just, you haven't been around them in a while or it's just whatever. I would encourage you to rekindle that relationship. Rekindle old relationships, build new relationships. I would encourage you to set even some goals, some intentional goals. Maybe saying, you know, once a month, at least once a month, we are going to invite people from outside our church community into our house for a meal, just to get to know them, just to build relationships. We need to be intentional about this because we're called in response to what Christ has done, we're called, we're called to share. So we, we see two things in response to the coming of Christmas. We see investigating, we see sharing, and finally we see praising God. We see this in verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. You see, I, I end with this, glorifying and praising God for a number of reasons. One, I end with it because it's the last thing in the, in the passage. But I also end with it because, well, you see, that's where it all ends. I end with it because that's where it all ends. Again, it starts with what God has done. Our praising and our glorifying Him it is all in response to what he has done. Where we, we don't come to church and praise God. God, you're wonderful. You're great. We love you. We don't do this so that he'll do things for us. Right? We don't go, God, I guess if I, if I sing really loudly, then, then maybe God will bless me. Right? If I really sing passionately, and if I, if I really, then God will bless me. No, 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 no. We sing and we praise God because we already see what he's done for us. And there's a freedom to that. I mean, you know, when, when you praise somebody because you're trying to get something from them, you know what that's called? That's called sucking up. That's not what we're doing with God. We're not sucking up to God. Hey, God, you know. No, we're praising him for the good God that he, that he is. This is ultimately what it's all about. When you read in the book of Revelation, at the end of the age, we see this incredible picture of all of the world, all of creation, all of God's people praising him for eternity, that we are created to praise him. You think about that, when we come together and we gather and worship and we praise God, we are doing something that anticipates what our entire eternity is supposed to be about, which is praising him and worshiping him. You know, the, the issue of praising God in response to what he's done at Christmas it kind of just leaps off the pages of the first chapter of Luke. I think this is interesting. In the first chapter of Luke, we find two praise songs. Just in the first chapter of Luke, there are two songs. You have the song of Mary and the song of Zechariah, and they both take up a significant uh, number of verses in, these, in this chapter. Mary, of course, is exposed to the gospel, the coming of Jesus, and and so what does she, she sings, and, and Zechariah, he, he becomes aware of, of, of this role that he's playing in, in this unfolding drama, and what does he do? He responds with praise. We have these two songs in the first chapter, and I think this just goes to highlight the centrality of worshiping and praising God. And one of the things that I often say is that, is that we should sing so loudly and so passionately that we cause accidents on Rivervale Road. So far, as far as I know, about the only accident that I've almost caused on Rivervale Road was when my dog got out and ran up and down the road. 
But I would love for our church to, to sing out in such a way that, they, that, that there are accidents on Rivervale Road that we're just singing out passionately because of what God has done. I pray that that's something that we would grow in in the year 2015. Pray that we would grow in these three things, that we would investigate, that we would pursue who God is, we would be open to our questions, trusting that God is there, and that we would, that we would respond by sharing, by building relationships with others and seeking to share the gospel with them. And finally, we would respond with praise. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you for the good news that we find in the Christmas story. God, we praise you that you humbled yourself. You humbled yourself, the God who created all things. You came to this earth and you were, you were born in a manger. You took on complete humility. God, I pray that we would be humbled by that. God, I pray that we would ponder the Christmas story. God, I pray that we would Reflect upon it in, with new eyes, Lord, that we wouldn't just uh, read through it uh, as something that we've known for many years and perhaps have failed to think about in many years. I pray we would really think about it, Lord, and that it would stir us to respond in this manner. God, I pray for our church in 2015. God, we are excited with the things that you are doing. We see you at work. And God, I just pray that we would be able to take even our celebration of Christmas this year, Lord, and that it it would be what drives us as we move forward into 2015. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.